0: Wired into technology transformation, this is the Digital Bulletin Podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 22 of the Digital Bulletin Podcast. My name is Ben Mouncer, and joining me inside the pod this month, we have your favorite DB duo, everyone. It's our CEO, Romilly Broad. Hello and Digital Bulletin Content Director, James Henderson. Hello. How are we chaps, From How are you? Yeah, good. Although, you know, we've had a bit of a struggle this
2: morning, haven't we? Because of a digital transformation in my internet connection from home. <laughs> it's still, we talk about all this high-tech stuff all the time, don't we? And then every now and then, um, a ancient Victorian copper telephone line fails and half a city is plunged into digital darkness. It's completely silly. Anyway, we
1: got there in the end. Rant over James. How's your connectivity? Are you stable?
0: Yeah, I think so, but certainly better than Romilly's Anyway, I haven't had to, you know, travel 15 miles or whatever to a separate location. (laughs) So yeah, I'm ready. Same as I was ready an hour and a half ago, but you know, I'm sorry. Okay.
1: (laughs) We'd, we'd literally do anything not to do this podcast in person. So that's great. Um, Excellent. Right. We've got a bunch of exciting things coming up on today's show. Listener, we're going to get stuck into the collapse of the US Department of Defense's $10 billion cloud contract with Microsoft. We will review our case study on Talon Outdoor, and I get the chance to catch up with Remote's CEO Job van der Voort to discuss the technology stacks which will underpin hybrid working. But first, some news. And the first story is related to hybrid working. Zoom, a company which I think we can say has done fairly well out of the pandemic, is paying nearly $15 billion for cloud-based call center provider 59. Zoom is spending a lot of money to bolster its enterprise offering. Another big money deal signed in the last few days was between Ericsson and Verizon. Verizon will pay Ericsson $8.3 billion to deliver the infrastructure for much of its 5G network in the United States. Those two companies have worked together for a long time and now will continue to do so as 5G sweeps across North America. Elsewhere this month, we saw the European Central Bank approve the launch of a project that will ultimately lead to a digital version of the Euro. Apparently the currency could be launched as early as March next year. We've also seen Jeff Bezos officially step down as Amazon CEO ahead of his space trip, which I believe is happening today. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. We've seen SAP announce a big investment into the UK market, and the news that worldwide IT spending is going to hit 4.2 trillion dollars in 2021. That's not a real number. Anyway, you can get access to the to the best reporting on those stories and many, many more via the bulletin on digitalbulletin.com. But next, we are going to focus on a three-year tech saga that recently came to a predictable conclusion. Project Jedi, which I think we spoke about on episode two of this podcast, like nearly two years ago. Um, So Project Jedi or the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure Project, which saw the Pentagon award a 10-year cloud contract exclusively to Microsoft, has officially been scrapped. Amazon has been contesting the contract ever since it saw the $10 billion deal slip through its grasp in October 2019. It has very loudly been alleging bias from the Trump administration against the company. And its founder Jeff Bezos the US Department of Defense cancelled the project earlier this month saying that it no longer met its current needs due to "quote the shifting technology environment now we'll read into that what we will but Rom do you think Jedi was doomed from the beginning Um, it's
2: I I wonder what we said back in episode two Um, we probably weren't saying it was doomed Um, so I think you can say that in hindsight probably and I've been knowing that we'd be talking about this. I've been thinking about it and it's, it's, it's interesting, um, the interplay of various different things, uh, that have ultimately caused its demise. And now in hindsight, when you look at those things, whether it's politics, whether it's corporate interest, whether it's culture, um, yes, (laughs) it was always, it was always kind of doomed, even though, obviously, at the time when the idea was uh, broached, It was absolutely a a very sensible thing to do. And it still is, it's just going to be a different kind of thing now, I guess.
1: Yeah. And it's going to look very different and James will get your thoughts on that in a minute, but, but Rom, how, how did something so complex get as far as it did in the end, obviously it's sort of collapsed spectacularly really over, over a long period of time, but the the contract was awarded to Microsoft. It seems astonishing that that even kind of happened really.
2: Right. I mean. The, the reason it got as far as it did i suppose is because it's just a good idea it's cost efficient it brings a whole load of extra capabilities across um you know the defense landscape uh, uh in the us and obviously that's quite large uh i think it's you know bigger than just about the rest of the world combined more or less in terms of you know the kind of assets in play that this would underpin um that's Uh, As far as I understand, it's still the idea. They're just gonna go about it in a different way. I think that the the problem was obviously they wanted to go to a single supplier for all of this. And what happened then was you had uh, a number of very, very big companies extremely interested in in the $10 billion, probably not limited to $10 billion. Part of the controversy around it, I think, was that it was kind of an open-ended contract. It was limited in terms of time, but not necessarily in terms of spend. So it was probably gonna go beyond that. Everybody wanted that. and then, you know, you look at the backstory and what was going on, you had uh, cultural issues. So Google were in the running to start with, right? But they they dropped out because of a, fundamentally, a backlash from their own people. They thought, hang on, this, isn't, this doesn't chime with what we think we are as a company. And so uh, Google said, no, thank you. And then Amazon was primed to pick it up uh, at, at the time, I believe. And then Oracle intervened. And then this is, of course, where... Uh, politics started happening. There was a particular individual in the White House at the time, um, supported strenuously uh, by the CEO of Oracle at the time. Uh, he put a great big pause on it, suggesting that the involvement of a former Amazon employee in the requisition process represented a conflict of interest. Um, uh, you know, uh, two or three months later, a mysterious quarter of a million dollars landed in his fundraising account uh, from the CEO of Oracle. Um the whole thing was paused. It was all a bit silly. Everyone went to court. Um obviously uh Microsoft were well, ultimately handed uh the contract, Amazon weren't too happy about that, everything went into court. So we've got the interplay of legal courts, of kingly courts in the term in terms of the, the Trump presidency at the time, where you know you could debate uh the the influence of uh, uh one I was going to use the word corrupt influence the slightly shady influence of different um attitudes there In not in not obviously um uh, obviously mainly the big one being Trump c- kind of hates Jeff Bezos like that's just obviously on the record and how important was that it shouldn't be obviously at all but you know this is anyway the whole thing was just a mess you had cultural opinion on one side certainly at Google you had uh uh, litigation going on left right and centre which was always going to happen and then you eventually you had the kind of unseemly politics of the time so yeah the whole thing was a bit of a mess even though it was obviously the right thing to do at the time
1: yeah and and the the dod isn't departing from the strategy completely but james it's a it's a very different kind of way they're going now you know we've given i think we've given the egos enough airtime there let's talk about the technology and one trend we're seeing, James, is is that especially with the huge organisations when they're adopting cloud at massive scale, is that a sort of multi-cloud approach tends to be the way they're going now, purely because of the just the complexity of it all. Um, do you want to talk a bit about what the Pentagon are, are doing now, as in, in after this U-turn?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Rom said it was a good idea, and obviously, and clearly, it is a good idea if you're, you know, you're the, the department of defense or the pentagon and your you know your cloud infrastructure is operating optimally but i do th- uh, it was said from the start i think that people who looked at the deal sort of raised their eyebrows there was some surprise that it's gone to a single provider you know that you you're absolutely right enterprise more than ever and you know that includes public sector is going towards a, a multi-cloud strategy so it was always a, a, a sort of. A, a, I found it quite odd, to be honest. I thought it was odd that they didn't go down that road to begin with. Um, so what they're what they're doing now is is doing just that, and um, they've changed the name. It's no longer going to be known as Jedi. It's now going to be known as the Joint Warfighter Cloud Capability. So boom, yeah, that's literally uh, boom. Yeah, that's on to remember. Um, and interestingly, obviously aws and microsoft have been fighting each other you know making you know some pretty strong accusations on either side and god knows how much has been spent on lawyers and litigation and stuff like that and and, and, and the crazy thing is now that these two are now shooing for part of this contract probably the two biggest bits of the contract are going to now go to aws and, and microsoft and they're going to have to work hand in hand and sort of try and forget about the you know been trying to drag each other through the courts for for the last how many, how many other years. Initially, weirdly, the Department of Defense said that those are the only two companies they thought could, um, would be able to meet its cloud computing needs, Uh, but it's rode back on that since. And it's likely to sort of test the waters with Oracle, Google and IBM over the next couple of months. I think what we'll probably see is, you know, the two largest tranches of this contract going to AWS. and and Microsoft and, and Oracle, Google, IBM picking up bits and pieces around it. Um, and obviously, they've wasted a lot of time. So they, they want to get the ball rolling by April next year. Um, we're definitely going to have AWS and Microsoft. That, yeah. You know, if, if that doesn't happen, then I would be absolutely stunned. <laughs> and we're probably going to have more, you know, one at least one or two of Google, IBM, Oracle as well. So, yeah, very much going from Jedi, the you know, one one provider fits all to, you know, may, maybe maybe three, four, or even five. But yeah, AWS and Microsoft are going uh, you know, to... Th- these are two companies that are used to working together, right? But the people who have been involved in this contract are going to have to put <laughs> certain issues aside to work together on this because, you know, obviously it's, it's such a crucial contract, such an important contract. I'm sure they will.
1: Yeah. I'm sure
0: there's a desire on all sides to just get on with it now.
1: And those providers you mentioned, it it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because those providers will all have different strengths. We know AWS and Microsoft are, you know, without any shadow of a doubt, the market leaders, but there will be elements of the other services that might suit the DOD's needs better. And listen, this is mission critical infrastructure. Everything about it needs to be absolutely spot on. The idea that one company can meet their needs to the absolute maximum across everything is just not realistic. I don't think, Rom, do you think? these cloud players will work together in scenarios like this go forward? Uh, well, yes, they have to. And
2: then, you know, that's not an unusual thing. Of course, they, they do already. It's something that's underpinned by a decent contract. And as long as you line up roles and responsibilities and you've got SLAs in place that make sure that uh, things work together seamlessly or not, um, on pain of punishment, then, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I don't think there's any professional animus between the likes of Microsoft and AWS. They're all um, contributing to to the overall good. And I think they would see it that way. I think, you know, with the extraction of certain political um, kind of overheads uh, and maybe a return to some kind of sensible process, um, there's a much better chance that that will happen. And, I, and I, you know, it, it is, well, I think what's really fascinating is how th- this will evolve over time to encompass the the, Unbelievable complexity of what of what it must be to be uh, operating data services and so on within the um, within the military ecosystem, if you like. So all the different services, all the different branches, they've all got their own legacy setups, um, all of which have presumably had tons of time and investment put into them anyway. And how do you bring all of that together so that it works? It's, you know, it would lovely be it'd be really interesting, wouldn't it, to be able to peer inside that? The, the chances of us ever being able to do that
1: are fairly <laughs> slim, I should think. Why don't we use some NSO surveillance technology? I think that's going quite cheap on the market at the moment. <laughs> right, um, James, well, there's a quote from Microsoft shortly after the deal was canned. Obviously, they're feeling quite, not bitter, or maybe they are feeling bitter, but the quote was, when one company can delay for years critical technology upgrades for those who defend our nation, that the protest process needs reform. Obviously, this has been going on for three years. Nothing's happened. That's three years of time where the DoD could have, I guess, made a quite a lot of transformative change to their infrastructure do you think microsoft have a point here what do you think needs to change
0: uh yeah microsoft definitely do have a point um but at at the same time if if the roles were reversed i think you'd see very very similar things happening and and clearly there were issues between donald trump and jeff bezos that it's hard to say with a straight face isn't it that that didn't have some impact on the award like it just it doesn't feel credible to sit here and say it didn't so when you consider that and how important the contract is, then, then, yes, they have a point, but I'm pretty sure they would have done exactly the same thing. Um, I think where they definitely do have a point is that while all this has been going on for three years, the the scope of the work is now out of date. That's how long it's been going on. And clearly the Pentagon sort of cloud infrastructure has not been, or it's been pretty sub optimum that time when and when you think about the threat actors that are out there and you think about some of the cyber attacks we've seen even in the last couple of months on public infrastructure you know on on really important pipelines on you know local authorities and stuff like that that's pretty scary like for all of us you know that this isn't just a u.s problem You think that if something serious happened with the pentagon we'd, we'd all be in a bit of bother really um so it's really it's a tough balancing act isn't it it's the right to appeal is an integral thing it's it's part of law it's enshrined in law it has to continue to do that um but you do rather feel like aws has got exactly what it wanted which is to just drag the thing for as long as it can until it's binned and it's going to end up with a with a sizable piece of, the, of this new contract right so yeah it probably feel vindicated in, in its actions i would say um given that that old Contracts may be no longer for fit for purpose. I mean, what needs to change exactly is probably above my pay grade. But you know, clearly it's not been it's not been a fantastic outcome on all sides, has it? No one comes out looking great. Yeah.
2: I just, I mean, just to go in there, that, that Amazon and others are on record now of saying they support the decision to to go a different route and to embrace, you know, multiple parties being involved and so on. Um, it's also worth pointing out that um. A, a, a judge uh, ruled, uh, part of what caused this all to come crashing down in the end was a judge ruling essentially that on the basis of um, Amazon's representations, they their case had a lot of merit. Essentially, they were saying, look, um, this hasn't been conducted in a fair and proper way. And it, it didn't get to the point, as far as I understand it, where that actually did go through the courts, that that judgment by the judge was enough to say, okay, look, this 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 isn't going anywhere, let's let's move on. And now everybody is actually saying, do you know what, this is actually, this is a fair result. There may be resentment about the, you know, the fact that that was a process that ended up becoming a saga rather than a success. Um, but everyone seems to be on on the same page now, as far as they're saying publicly anyway.
1: I'm sure it'll go very smoothly from here on in. How, how many people do you reckon the pension have got working on this, like two or three little Yeah, little a couple, yeah. Little,
0: yeah. little sub-working group, you know. <laughs>
1: Well, it, as Rom said, it'd be really nice to have a little nose around and see how all this works, but you know that's never going to happen. So I'm going to call time there, chaps, I think. Uh, listener, we'll obviously keep you updated with the Pentagon's next steps on its efforts to modernize through the cloud. As for this podcast, we'll be back for more after this.
0: Find us as Digital Bulletin on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram and at Digi underscore Bulletin on Twitter.
1: For this month's case study focus, we're going to look back at our piece with Talon Outdoor. Talon is an out-of-home advertising agency handling out-of-home media for some of the UK's leading advertising brands. If you see a billboard, ads on street furniture, or banners in places like train stations and airports, there's a fair chance Talon is behind it. But the company's latest mission is to bring this legacy industry into the 21st century. To do this, Talon is focusing on digitalization. as Josko Griljevic, its chief transformation officer, explains in this clip. The reason for Talon looking at doing digital transformation is outdoor is the world's
2: largest advertising medium, being around since the, since the earliest of days. And, and we are a very good company. We've been in existence for the last eight years. We represent a significant uh, part of the market share in the UK. We've been very successful as a business. We've been very successful in providing value to our agencies and advertisers. But we also realized that we needed to move the business on and move the industry on as a whole. Um, the world is moving down a digitization route. Everything is going online. Um, so we had a great challenge of how do we take the world's o- oldest advertising medium, a legacy medium and offline medium into the new brave online world and make it uh, digital, not just in the way that the screens are digitized, but the entire end-to-end journey of the business.
1: James, really interesting this story. I think on first impressions, this might not seem like a company or indeed an industry that it has an obvious kind of link with digitalization and digital transformation. Can you maybe just give the listener a bit of an overview of some of the ways Talon is kind of embracing technology to elevate what it does?
0: Yeah, I think as as you've said, and as Josco said, um, the earliest out-of-home advertising instance. I think it goes back to the 14 or 1500s when people it's sort of fly-posting um, and sort of advertising people's services. So yeah, when people talk about it, when we, when we speak about technologies, we do all the time, people talk about like legacy systems and sometimes these technologies are like five years old. Whereas when they talk about sort of it being a legacy industry, they're talking about 500 years. So there is a big difference, obviously. Um, and you're right. You you think about you know billboards, the the sort of advertising that you almost take on sort of subconsciously or passively. But obviously over over the over the last sort of twenty years, a lot more of that has become digital, and um you know, and it, it sort of changes in front of you. So we've gone beyond you know just normal billboards, although although Talon still do you know that still is in their sort of portfolio. So. Yosko joined the company about three years ago, and in the interview, he talks about how when he got there, he found a, a team that was um, full of ideas, and he described it as a company that had loads of brilliant IP, but it was all locked up in people's heads. So he's he so straight away he sort of identified that they needed to sort of take that IP and that knowledge and expertise, and sort of transfer it onto technology platforms where it could sit, and people you know people could dip in and out of it. And, he saw an opportunity, I think, to sort of take that knowledge and build those technology platforms that would help Talon and its customers, but also try and move sort of out of home forward as, as, as an industry. Um, they've built a no- number of platforms, but there was three sort of main platforms that, that the article dives into, and I'll just briefly go over them. And the, the newest one I believe is, is Ada and that's a sort of data management platform, which uses. Billions of different data points to create insights for customers about their audiences. So, stuff like footfall, ads recall, brand consideration. So, it's effectively using data science to understand the audiences of those sort of uh, out of home advertisements. Um, and they've got two others. One called Atlas, which is a sort of automated out-of-home platform for for its customers, and they you know they can engage with campaigns and think about how locations and and, and stuff like that. Um, and the other one is called Plato, which sort, sort of automates trading for out-of-home as well. So they've built these three fantastic platforms to really digitalize their business, uh, you know, and take take those ideas that people had in their heads and actually build them into the company. You know, add value to their business, add value for their customers. Uh, and as I said, try and try and move, try and move out of home, which is is seen as a sort of legacy business and maybe not old fashioned, but, or maybe it is old fashioned, you know, people think about billboards, maybe there is that, that sort of element to it, but no, they're certainly, you know, really embraced this sort of digitalization of, of their company and they're, they're trying to be a flag wave of the industry, I think as well.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty impressive body of work, isn't it? Ron, what are your kind of in- initial thoughts on it? Because, As far as I can see, like this, this is fairly transformative stuff for this industry, the idea that you can give your customers, so advertisers data and insights around out of home advertising, that seems like a really exciting thing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, obviously digital advertising has been doing this sort of thing for years and, um, uh, out of home advertising, I suppose you can put in, in, in a category with a few other industries where there hasn't historically been an obvious need to do this right because i mean essentially you've got slabs of actual inventory they literal slabs and they're around the place you can probably manage it with a spreadsheet uh stuff goes up for a certain amount of time and the cost for doing it, that is you know whatever it is um but what they've done is they've said actually no we can be a way more intelligent about this to provide a much better level of access to those to that inventory and to those resources for advertisers i think um Josco in particular talks about how they're how they're able to open up through this technology um, access to their inventory to smaller advertisers. so even shops who are saying, do you know what there's a billboard just near my shop. I can go and book that for a day and get a bunch of more extra people in the door um, by ha- having the technology behind it that enables you to book that inventory um, in in that kind of real-time way kind of transforms what it what out-of home advertising means, especially to uh, a greater range of businesses. but it's it's really, it's really interesting and what when i was when i was reading it a while back I, I i don't know if this is a bit of a tangent too far but i was thinking there's a group of people actually over the last few years in the uk who had been kind of digitizing billboards and things out of home things in a guerrilla fashion and it, and it made me think you know they'd already digitized it um are you familiar with the uh, led by donkeys activist group here in the uk and they they are very much led by social media, and what they they had a particular axe to grind about Brexit, and more recently they've had an axe grinding about um, about coronavirus. They are actually primarily responsible for what is now essentially the UK's main national monument, to the tragedy of the coronavirus in London. Um, very guerrilla type work, but what they principally did was they used digital channels, social media channels to um, rouse. A community of people that supported them to rouse funds and so on, and then they and then they did out-of-home advertising with it. Um, They put uh, you know yellow jackets on, snuck up in the middle of the night, and uh, pasted their own version of posters over existing stuff, Um, uh, and then digitised it. It turned it into viral social media uh, things essentially. And then of course the next day it would have been removed probably um, because it was completely illegitimate and so on. And I thought, you know what, actually. It's it's great that Talon has actually said oh, let's let's industrialize this. We can do this stuff much better because the impact of out of home is is actually much more significant than you might think, and it's um, it's kind of already digital anyway when you've got particularly strong creative. And now they've opened that up to a much larger range of people. They as a company are going to do a, a lot better with it, and um, maybe even provide a- access to to more people like led by Donkeys who who can now. They don't have to scamper up ladders in the middle of the night. They can actually, you know, maybe leverage um, uh, an increased democratization around this sort of stuff um, for a greater range of purposes than we might see. Anyway, it's it's all really interesting, and they are very much leading the way on this. It's, it's, it's great that we were able to get in there and see it
1: i still think like billboards and things like that are really impactful as a medium like you tend to think of them as kind of old-fashioned and and stuff actually how often do you see a picture of a billboard on social media doing the rounds it's like they're still really impactful and in terms of talon stuff you know they've got some like mcdonald's is one of their main clients and has been one of the um companies who have engaged first with with these different platforms and stuff so it's all really interesting stuff now as james said there were three proprietary platforms that talon have developed um, we were also lucky enough to speak to Georgie Rumble, who's the company's product strategy director. And here she is talking more about the customer insights platform, Ada.
3: We wanted to make sure that the platform um, would be
1: able to provide uh, outcome based measurement. So out of home is classically a channel that's been quite difficult to measure. And that's because of the way that it is um, it's consumed you know it's a passive medium it's you know you see it subconsciously when you're walking down the street so with Ada we have built um, the platform with the ability to report on footfall data which has been a real kind of interesting element for our clients to understand people who are seeing an out-of-home campaign
3: and therefore taking an action and visiting a, a certain location
1: james as we've said this was a really kind of quick but deep transformation wasn't it three years to to launch to build and launch these platforms there's an interesting story isn't there about how talon found the right people to kind of make this happen
0: there is when when josko went into the business three years ago there was that desire as we've spoken about to build these these technology platforms um but he he said to himself he said that there wasn't the, the talent within Talon to do that. Maybe there wasn't even even the budget, there wasn't the time. So so what they did, they sort of they went out to to market um to try and find a partner really to to help them build these these platforms. And they went out and found a company called Sahaj Software, um, who are sort of based out of India. They've got a London base as well. And we were lucky enough to speak to a few of their guys um about the the work that they've done with Talon to build them. So it's a, it's a company which has a, a big team of data scientists and engineers, which is exactly what Talon needed at the time. They they didn't have that skill in-house. They needed to team up with a company who had that. Um, and they partnered with them to, to build these products. And we we a lot of the times in these case studies, we will speak to partners and speak about relationships. And we know how important they are in the, the tech ecosystem. But, but I'm pretty safe in saying that this one was the sort of closest relationship that I've seen between two two companies, both Yosco and, and Nissan at, at Sahaj, who's the, the, the managing director of the UK operation, spoke about how they don't really see Sahaj, they see Sahaj as part of um, Talon, really. Um, it's very much a sort of symbiotic relationship. And so Sahaj has gone away and, and built those built those platforms. and um, some of them in, in really short time. Obviously, the, the pandemic has accelerated everything, right? And um, they said that, and to use Yosko's words, some of the stuff they were able to deliver was insane under real high pressure, and they needed to get these platforms built. Um, and they, it, one of the things that that stood out for me was when I, when I was doing the interview with the um, Talon guys, a few of them told told me that. Uh, sahaj would often come to him and say look we've had this idea we think it would be really interesting for for you guys we, we think it would help with x y or z or whatever you're trying to do and often there wasn't time or budget and that the, they'd go back and say that so um sahaj would just go away and do it as a sort of experiment anyway and then come back with it you know this sort of fully working prototype prototype that and one of those is going into full production as, as a new platform later this year which is it's incredible really so it was it was um it was a really interesting partnership. Clearly, a really close partnership as well. And, you know what so hard is doing is, uh, I, I thought it was really impressive stuff, actually.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's partnership on another level, that isn't it? Mm. <laughs> um, for, and on a final point, Rom, I love throwing these big questions at the that make you stroke your beard and pontificate. But the future of the advertising industry considering what we've just spoken about the the elevation of out of home to kind of the 21st century and then all of the challenges around digital advertising where where do you see this industry going where is the value for advertisers going to be in the future do you think
0: oh
2: yeah that's a nice easy question isn't it like i mean uh, in in truth i think there's one element of what talon are doing that's that that might lead a a way forward here and that is by partnering so closely with people like sahaj they're developing solutions for a problem that uh, digital advertising particularly has had for ages and that's to do with um, the uh, trust uh, there's there's an awful lot of weirdness that goes on in um and uh, it, it's kind of criminality almost the transparency isn't there um, and they've used the word transparency I believe in, in talking about what they've done it's kind of brutally honest um. And they're bringing in new forms of data to try and validate, you know, the effectiveness of the advertising that they are offering. And so, they're, what they're doing is rooting um, honesty in the, the in the reporting that is developed through their advertising. Now, that therefore, and they're building platforms, obviously, that where you might be able to then start building campaigns that include out of home and digital at the same time, and they're all kind of joined up. So we'll see um, a greater plurality of different advertising. Uh, media if you like as part of single campaigns uh, and i'm sure this is part of Talon's strategy is to uh, evolve that out and to and to own that and to glow, grow i think they're growing internationally already i think they're they're active in the in the states already i believe um so that's one thing but to do that in a way that actually answers one of the main problems that people have had for a very long time around um, spend on uh, digital platforms in an advertising context would would be quite transformative i think um there's lots of other people trying to solve those problems as well of course but i think the talons scale and and penetration in in these markets already is is going to help it become a leader in that area i think that's my that's my off the cuff
1: answer to your ridiculously broad question thank you for it um right brilliant chaps thank you very much we're going to move on but for those interested in going deeper on the talon outdoor story the full case study can be found at digitalbulletin.com Next, technology and the hybrid workforce.
0: Power up your day with the Bulletin Brief. The latest news, insights and opinion delivered straight to your inbox.
1: For our interview this month, I sat down with Job van der Voort, CEO of Remote, the company whose technology helps organisations recruit staff from anywhere in the world. The topic of our conversation was the hybrid workforce and whether companies are adapting fast enough to their employees' needs. We also discussed how crucial technology is going to be in serving the distributed workforces of the future. But first, I asked Job, "What are the toughest challenges businesses face with hybrid working
3: becoming the new normal?" Well, I, you know, you have to change your entire model of working, so that, <laughs> that's a huge challenge. I think uh, there's there's a million and one things that are happening, right? First thing that is happening is that employees are demanding to be able to work remotely to to work from home or to work from any other location in the world and uh, if you don't accommodate to that as an employer you're going to lose those employees so you're immediately forced to deal with that and have to have to address it in some way so in other words you have to make the decision and i going to be an employer that's going to be working remotely yes or no um and, and and the answer is likely yes and then you have to decide, like, how do we work remotely? What does it mean to us? Are we all working remotely all the time? Is someone expected to be back at the office? Does someone plan to be back at the office if we say, well, you don't have to? Um, and how do we do, do? we deal with that? And then, you know, especially if you start working remotely, you have this magical ability now that, well, we could just hire people from all over the world rather than just the people that live close to us. And with that, you're immediately faced with how do I actually Employ people and pay people in other countries? And what do we do about time zones? How do we, you know, are we hiring truly everywhere in the world or just like close to us? Um, so you really quickly run into a whole set of new problems, not just new for you as an employer, but also new for like society as a whole, because the amount of companies that have been doing this kind of stuff and been working remotely uh, is, is, is very, very, very small. Let alone the ones that have been doing it in like the modern era, meaning, you know, the time in which we have access to zoom and slack and those are like under everybody knows those tools and everybody uses them. But what happens if you use them for all of your work and so and because there's so little people that have like elaborate experience with this yeah it's a lot a lot of challenges.
1: You said there are a million, a million and one challenges job. I like that phrase. Um, and it's not just about technical stuff. It's almost philosophical as well for companies and how, how they're going to tackle this going forward. Do you think job that there's any organization is your average organization prepared for this in any way? Or do you think they're kind of scrambling through it right now? I
3: think, I think by now organizations have made some sort of preparation, right? Like basically everybody, every employer got the last year as a, as a, like well, trial by fire in a way. Uh, you have to figure this out this, this year. By now, I think most employers have like a reasonable idea of like, what do we have to do? What is expected of us? Uh, that said there's a host of employers I, I expect to see you know, that are up for a nasty surprise when they realize, well, if we don't support remote work, we're gonna have a lot of people leaving and we'll have to change course in that. But in general, yeah, as I was saying, like, you, you can't really be prepared for something that yeah, you, you haven't experienced it before is completely different from any model that you've used in the past. And so, you know, there's always this, I always try to, you know, humanize it a little bit. The employer is also just, you know, one or several people. And those have also experienced the same things that the, the downsides of, you know, being of forced at home, the struggles of working with but also the upsides. And so, you know, I think in that sense, they might not be prepared for it, but in a lot of ways, uh, they might be, excited about the prospect of being able to continue to work remotely
1: tell us about your company then job a very aptly called remote so what does your company <laughs> offer
3: so remote makes it possible for you as an employer to hire pay and provide benefits to anybody anywhere so if you want to hire jane in portugal but you only have a, your business in the uk that's that's it's not a simple thing to solve right you have to set up local entity in portugal you have to figure out how it works so how do i create the local contract how do i provide locally applicable um uh, contracts that's really complicated and so what we do is we remote we have entities in all countries in all, all over the world and we provide what is called employer record services which is essentially payroll compliance taxes providing benefits etc um, for anybody anywhere and so we we can take care of all of that so that like you just tell us i want to hire jane she lives in portugal and we just take care of all the stuff you just pay our invoice every single month you treat jane like any other employee and that's it that's all you have to do uh, and so that's what uh, remote does
1: how does it work then job i imagine it's a combination of great people and some pretty interesting technology as well
3: yeah i like a large part of this is pure bureaucracy bureaucracy and paper pushing. And that happens at governments, and, and and in part has to be happened by the employer. And in this case, we are the employer. So, and and there's typically no gracious way around this. Like, there's no hack to be had. The only thing we can do is make a, make ourselves and build technology that automates a lot of these kind of movements. But nonetheless, you are often still you know stuck in in like some random government office doing what God knows what. Um, and so, yeah, it's it is exactly that. It's a combination of having this really massive legal. Financial infrastructure to be able to do this, and then building technology essentially to automate and streamline a lot of that, uh, and that's that's really challenging because we have to essentially do this for each country in the world. So in every country that we open, let's say we all we had Portugal open, we start automating things there. And now we open uh, Spain. Well, in Spain, we'll have to go through the same hassle because every country is almost completely unique in the sense of like how they work, what kind of. Papers, what kind of processes they have and require what kind of taxes you pay there. And so for every country, we sort of have to reinvent this. And so what we try to do is we try to build software and we try to build processes um, that allow us to, you know, take things from one country and bring them to another, right? Like build a process that work across multiple countries. And then for our customers, we try to abstract all of that away. Uh, and that's really, really difficult because you're constantly fighting between being highly compliant and making sure that you're representing to the customer like this you know specifics of hiring someone locally without it becoming overcome overly complex um so yeah it's a lot
1: <laughs> and maybe job you can give us some insights into what it's been like over the last 18 months i imagine it's been pretty crazy for your company as as the pandemic swept around the world
3: yeah so we founded the company in january 2019 and we only really started doing business right after COVID hit in around april last year um, because prior to Covid, the demand for these kind of products was already large, uh, the moment we opened the doors and people started working remotely, it was just overwhelming the demand. and it it continues to be, and it 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 looks like it's accelerating as well. So our company, I think eighteen months ago, we had maybe twenty employees internally. And today we have more than three hundred. and that that gives you a good idea of like how fast we had to scale up and how fast we had to go um and really it feels like you know we're building the rocket as it as it's taking off <laughs> it's a it's a massive undertaking
1: i'm sure it's hugely exciting and just bringing it back to the wider point John about distributed workforces and and hybrid working what role do you think technology is going to play for companies going forward to really solve any challenges they have around there because you imagine don't you a tech stack which you know it probably includes remote technology includes companies like Zoom and and all of those things coming together, technology is really going to be critical, isn't it, to making this work
3: long-term? Yeah, it's fundamentally what what enables it, right? Like, there's no way you can run a distributed company without, you know, great collaboration software, great communication software. Essentially, what you want to feel is that a whiteboard in an office has not just been replaced, but it's been superseded by by something, right? Like, there, there is something that is significantly better than that And that is what we use when we're, you know, collaborating in a distributed team. Uh, That is the point that we want to be at. And I I think we're getting really close to that. And I think there's different media through which we, you know, it it becomes easier to work together or it's easier to, for example, form a connection, which is another like vital thing, which is very easy person to person, because that's how we've been doing it for literally ever. And now we have to try to do that on a distance. Uh, So it's those are the kind of things that you have to think about, like communication, collaboration tools. Uh, and of course, you know, what we do, which is compliance and taxes and payroll, etc. But But above everything else, what I, you know, beyond the work that we do ourselves, I think that is where a lot of innovation has to happen just so that we feel like, well, I can be as productive or more productive when working remotely, not less so. Uh, and luckily we have, you know, we have really, really great tools and it, it's it's only improving.
1: Yeah, and the tools are very sophisticated right now. But Job, how exciting is it to think how they might be in the future and to think that this is going to be an area that's going to be invested in so much that there's almost a a future of of work that seems hugely kind of tantalizing, isn't there?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things I'm most excited about this is to see VR and AR, you know, step out of the niche and become more... Of a general thing, right? So uh, today, what we do at 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 remote, for example, everybody gets a VR headset, so we can use that and can you know use it for bonding and just for fun, also just to get a taste of the future. It's not very expensive, so it's like it's a nice thing to get when uh, you join a company. Uh, That said, it's still very far away from being like highly productive. Like you, you're not going to use that 100% of the time. There's there's a few people that are, but like it's. It's it's still much harder to use than something that you know than your normal setup. But I'm very excited to see where that is going. Especially you know once we'll see like some sort of AR glasses by Apple and and once most people start to have one of those accessible, it's going to be very interesting to see how work is going to evolve and how collaboration is going to evolve. I'm I'm really excited about that.
1: And are there any other kind of future trends that you're particularly excited about? Maybe bringing it back to your own company as well. Like what are the
3: technologies and the trends that you see sort of emerging? well i think you know we're stepping away from the model in which you know services they used to be in a place right so for example your bank might be uh it has an office and the office has to be close to you You have to go there and i think we are rapidly moving away from that model altogether and i think that is very exciting so that you can create a society in which your location uh, is a choice you make but otherwise almost unre- uh, irrelevant to irrelevant to your job and and how you make your money and and where you make your money and and i mean that is what we make possible right we make it possible that you can live anywhere you can get paid anywhere you can grow that money anywhere and you know we saw sol- we, we essentially solve all the hard parts of that you just have to you know keep your job <laughs> the one limiting factor forever will be you know, time zones. It's, that's the one thing you can't really work around. But there's now sufficient companies that work truly globally. Um, and so, so you can actually work for almost any com- uh, company in the world.
1: Thank you to Job for that chat. We are just about done, listener, but we're not going to set you free until after the inevitable plugs. Lots of exciting things going on at com. The latest issue of our monthly magazine includes the aforementioned Talon outdoor case study and an in-depth feature on how Industry 4.0 is transforming ice cream manufacturing for Unilever. It's quite the scoop. Hey. That's a good one. I'll that one. <laughs> Deary me. Uh, right. Last thing for me to do, thank goodness, is to say thank you and goodbye to the panel. James, thank you.
0: Thank you, as always.
1: Romney, thank you. Uh, No problem. We got there in the end. And thanks to you, listener, for sticking with us. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye.
0: That was the Digital Bulletin Podcast. Listen and subscribe to our range of podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Log in for news, features and case studies on the very latest in enterprise technology and digital transformation.